This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're talking about professional behavior. More to the point, do you need it? And, and what would we know about professional behavior? I have no idea. Uh, no one's really ever brought that up to us. <laughs> but we're asking more particularly, do you need to talk in wine? Do you need to talk like a pro? I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today, we're going to deal with the question, do you need to talk like a wine pro? Short answer, of course not, and we will explain why. We'll entangle a few words those semi-pros keep using. We have loads of questions, including some from our listener cluster in Fresno. We have a listener cluster, Paul. <laughs> and we will make fun of wine snobs, as you can tell already. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we are not going to teach you to talk like a wine pro. Yeah, Rick, we don't teach people anything. But <laughs> nice. When have we taught anybody anything? I cannot remember, actually. <laughs> but today we are specifically not teaching you to talk like a wine pro. And the reason why we bring that up is because there are so many blogs, wine pros, masters of wine, all kinds of people that are keep telling people to learn to talk like a wine pro. In fact... This came up, and so I did a Google search. And this is what I, you do best. I, it, it's true. Well, it's all I can do. <laughs> the Google search brought up the phrase, talk like a wine pro, came up 411,000 times. 411,000. I would have guessed 400. Yeah, 411,000. It came from, Gee, you name it, include, you know, regions. Regions yep. are teaching people, wineries, wine pros. Yeah. And I like this one. This was one of my favorites was Wine Talk Malaysia. Which, by the way, was a very nice site. Wow. Yeah, I wouldn't mind Who going. Who knew? Okay. But here's what they had to say. This, this makes me sad. <laughs> Looking and sounding like a pro needs a bit of research. Some people might talk to you about noses, legs, fermentation, vintage, corked wine, acidity, and other terms. Take a few minutes to read about some wine terms before you attend a gathering where wine will be served. Wow. It goes on to say maybe you'll even add some comments on your own, and that will increase your wine rep. Don't get me started. So you need—that's wrong you on need to so research. many levels. Yes. Need, in order to join it. You need to re before you go to an event. You yes. need to research. So the next time you go to an Elton John concert, please do some research on pianos because yes. it will make you seem like less of a fool at the concert. Yes. Well. Well, I'd love to feel like less of a fool myself on anything. <laughs> yeah, but we, reading we went, about pianos we isn't going to do pizza. it for you, Rick. <laughs> yeah, we went to pizza last night, so I looked up the history of Italy. Did you look up pizza and did you do some research on pizza so you could talk about pizza like I, a pro? I did. I did. I wanted to make sure that I could make sure that I want when I said vegetarian, I sounded like authoritative. <laughs> All right. So if there is a theme to bottle talk with Rick and Paul besides the fact that people wonder why we're on the air, it is that you don't need to be doing anything other than enjoying wine. Right. But, you know, right. so, but let's go just a little backwards. So how did this, I'm flummoxing around here because it's, it's, it seems no, You're so, flummoxing around here because that's what you do, Rick. You well, flummox yes, but, around. But I actually have a reason this time, which is just seems so <laughs> exasperating. So where does this come from? Where does this wine language come from? See, I think it all goes back to the way wine was sold 100 years ago. It was the drink of the British mm -hmm. upper class. And the way you distinguished yourself from the members of the lower class who drank beer 
here was that you knew how to talk to your wine merchant about legs and nose. Now, Rick, you have legs, you have a nose, so I'm assuming that you know what those words I mean. I have rather thin legs and rather large nose. There actually, you go, so, see? So much for that. There you go. <laughs> and, and I think it all stems back from 100 years ago where the British upper class, basically my fair lady, used words like this to let people know who belongs in our social set and who is a beer-drinking hooligan who would probably be better off uh, drinking in a local pub and not drinking wine at all. And was you know, we did a historic history moment uh, a month or two ago about uh, the sort of the snobbery going all the way back to the city folk of the Middle Ages because oh, yeah. that's when they became oh, yeah. markets. That was the better wine went to them, yep. and the heathens out in the fields were drinking the, the really bad stuff, or they yep. were drinking beer or whatever yep. it was. And it gets to our our need to identify ourselves as better than our neighbors, I guess. Snobs. Yeah. Yeah. Snobs. We, uh, we don't be those people. Don't be those people. So, and if you think about it too, what kind of business model is it where, well, to enjoy our product, to even buy our product, we have to educate you first? You know, yes and no, because I was thinking about this. I agree with the general philosophy. I think that wine should be approachable to everybody. When you think about it, though, have you ever sat down with, for example, your wife and talked about uh, something she saw in a fashion magazine? All of a sudden, uh, not she's... my wife. No, she doesn't read. Okay, well, my my daughters. Ah. Um, you read these magazines and you think, I don't know what these are. I don't. I don't even know. They're describing a, an article of clothing. That right. I got right. pants, shirts, shorts. That's kind of my article. And you usually of, you get them in the right places. I usually try to put yeah. the pants and the shorts yeah. down below yeah. and the yeah. shirt up yeah. above. That's yes. kind of the way it That's goes. Good. But, the, man, the stuff, I mean, there are a million words in the fashion industry, and I guess some people use it the same way. But there's a difference, too, between learning about wine to enjoy it. And, frankly, you know, you and I have become, you know, guys in the industry because, among other things, we enjoy the history of it, yes. the, the details of it. Sure. You know, it's the, fun. The mystery of it. It's of, fascinating. It is. But the, 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 so the, the idea would be to say, learn about wine because it's really fun when you do. That's right. As opposed to, here's what you need to know to buy our product. Well, or even worse, here's what you need to protect yourself yes. in the social well, war. What, in the what, social war that is wine appreciation. That's what, that's what Wine Talk Malaysia was, uh, was encouraging. That's you know, the, right. The other part that, and that's the one that really gives me a headache, was Wine Talk Malaysia talked about improving your wine rep yes. because your reputation That's on right. earth matters so much whether you know something about wine. Well, you know, you want to hang out with the big dogs. You better be able to define <laughs> exactly what noses and legs are and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're hanging out with those people, you're hanging out with the wrong people. Yeah. I mean, that is another part of this that I think that is also um, it's really unfortunate because I think it actually makes wine less enjoyable for so many people. On the right. one hand, for folks who don't know much about wine, who feel like they really can't even order it. The book that I wrote about the people that founded Barefoot, yes. this is back in the 80s, one of them did not like uh, Bonnie Harvey. She did not like ordering in a restaurant. She wouldn't drink wine because she was afraid she'd mispronounce it. People, people actually, it's one of the Americans' top fears is ordering wine in a restaurant. Yeah, and yeah. it's terrible. And yeah. then the flip side of it is, is even when, as people start to learn about wine, it kind of ruins their enjoyment of it because it's yep. no longer a fun thing. Now it's a, a competition. But the other side of this, you and I know any number 
of masters of wine, master sommeliers, etc. And when they sit around talking about wine, true, there are times when they'll go off on a tangent and get really geeky. But if you and I bring someone to them who isn't an expert on wine, these guys drop all that attitude and they really break the language down to does it taste good? Is it yummy? As one master sommelier yep. said, when I said, what kind of wine would you recommend my father-in-law drink? He said, tell him to drink what he likes. Yeah. I mean, it's that complicated. And what happens when you get around those folks, and this is really the lesson for everyone, is that for them there's a joy to it. There's a joy to yes. not knowing. Yes. And maybe that's a big part of it. I mean, my Lord, I certainly know because there's many, many things I don't know. Shall we make a list? <laughs> yeah, no, well, we'd be here the rest of the hour. So I think we, <laughs> I would kill us right there. So, yep. you know, I think there's another part of this, too. Um, it is this order like a pro. And I, I, I want to uh, eater.com, which is a website that I like. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. and they actually had a well-intentioned story about describing things in your own words. Don't try to talk like a pro, except right. it's, it's under the story, here's how you order like a pro. Right. And so that, right. I mean, it's so al it's almost go. that pro notion of yep. it, you know? Yep. And chances are, if you start doing this, you will make mistakes, and then you won't sound like a pro anyway. So I know that one of the first times I ever went to a winery, I was 12 at the time. No, I was a little older <laughs> than that, but I was young. And I tasted some wine, and it was tannic. Now, I didn't know what tannin was at the time. I thought that that flavor, that dry sensation in your mouth came from barrels. So I said, seems like it's really oaky. And the guy behind the counter didn't really take the opportunity to say, time out, yeah. what are you tasting? Yeah. He just said, this wine never goes into barrel. Yeah. So what he told which, me was, which, you're dumb. Yeah. Which yeah. I was, yep. fair enough. Yeah. Um, but and and I was dumb to try to use a word that I didn't really understand, but I kind of thought I knew where it was going. You know, yeah, that, it was a teachable moment. It was a teachable moment, moment and they couldn't yeah. teach me, by yeah. God. But you know, this is this brings to mind something I do with my students at the college, which I used to tell them, "Let's taste these two wines." We would taste them. I would tell them what a classic wine professional would use, what words they would use to right. describe each one of the wines. Then I'd have them close their eyes get their neighbor to switch the glasses around and see if they could get it right. Well, turns out... Strike out. Well, they would do, you know, maybe 75% of the time. Now, 50% is random, so 70 right. is better than okay. random, but it ain't great. Right. A few years ago, I started and I said, hey, listen, I'm not going to tell you anything about these wines. I just want you to write down the descriptors you come up with when you smell this wine and you taste this wine, how you describe to yourself the differences between these wines. Did the same exercise, closed the eyes, switched the glasses... About 95% of the students got it right because they weren't trying to smell and taste what I tasted. They were just going on their reaction to this. So, in fact, they were more accurate than I was at describing those wines to them. Right. Something to be learned there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that is, you know, to give Eater.com credit, that was what their point was, is don't mm -hmm. try to do that. You know, I, I've had, I was sitting actually last night when we were, I was sitting next to a guy who I, you know, see around town. He's a guy, I've, just name is Scott. Yeah. And, uh, and he was asking about these two Chardonnays, which one is more buttery? And one was, for me, clearly more buttery. What he really meant was which one's more oaky. Uh, yes. He wanted the oaky. Right. So I said, well, this is what this one's going to kind of taste like to me. 
This right. is what that one's going to kind of taste like to me. But right. I said, you know what? So, But the only way we can do this, we're at the bar. And, and we, I mean, you know the bartender. I said, could you pour him a little of each? Perfect. And he disagreed on which one was the buttery one. Right. Because that was not you, his definition. Because you were wrong. Because I was wrong, apparently, yes. <laughs> but And so, he, and that's how you do it. So for him, yeah. that's how he could describe these two wines yep. and which one he liked best yep. based on these things. And what an opportunity. I mean, this is the wonderful thing about, uh, about the, so many restaurants having wines by the glass is you have a question absolutely they, it doesn't have to be a big shot and yeah. and i've you know any number of times just asked him i want a rosé but it's got to be dry is your rosé dry and rather than trying to convince me it's dry and it's tell me that they just it, bring yeah. me a, a little here's a little shot taste it tell me if it's dry enough for you if not we'll find something else for you yeah and and the uh, and the answer really is like for my friend scott i mean it's for everyone don't try you know when if you the message for scott is don't trust Rick. Well, that, that's that's the first message for everyone. <laughs> don't trust Rick. The second message is, if you find wines you like or you don't like, and you kind of want to find them again, try to tell yourself what it is about the wine that you like or dislike. Right. Don't talk like a wine pro. Talk like who you are. No, although that would be a good time to talk to a wine pro. About what there, it is so you can you know, connect. In that, yes. in that scenario that you just described, that's the perfect opportunity to say, okay, so the way I would describe this is this. How would you describe it, Rick? And then that's a teacher moment. That's true. Well, you don't get many teachable moments around here. But, no, you don't. But coming up, we will take some questions and maybe we can at least have one or two teachable moments. Or maybe we can learn something. Or that. Or that. <laughs> Stay with us. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's time for us to open our mail slot bag folder. We still have inbox. not in our mail inbox. Now, that sounds too precious. <laughs> we are taking some mail. We're answering some questions. If you'd like to ask us a question, by the way, we will try to answer. Go to rickandpaulwine.com. That's all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And then .com. Or you can find us on iTunes, and you can subscribe for free with just one little bitty click. If you're new to us, by the way... Since you're hearing us talk about uh, wine pros, wine pros, wine pros, you might be wondering what these two yahoos are doing dissing wine pros. Well, we are yahoos, that's for sure. We definitely are, and sadly <laughs> enough, for the industry, we are also surprisingly wine pros. <laughs> Paul's been in the industry for a very long time. He used to be well respected until he got hooked up with me. <laughs> he answers questions on allexperts.com. He teaches at places like the Culinary Institute of America, Napa Valley College, and around the world. He is, uh, and he doesn't talk like a wine pro. And Rick, of course, wrote best-selling books on wine, including on the New York Times bestseller list, a longtime journalist, wine commentator for Capital Public Radio. So you'd think he'd know better. You'd think. And by the way, thank you to Capital Public Radio for letting us use your studios. Yes, indeed. So as it turns out, Paul, we have a group of listeners in Fresno. They're, I'm calling them our Fresno Enclave. And I really like to believe cool. they listen to us because we are, as you know, very charming guys. Yes, we are. But I think it may have something to do with the fact that my wife is from Fresno and she's begged them to listen to us. She's been going through the yearbook. She has been, yes. <laughs> Nonetheless, we have a group of questions from some regular listeners now. First one is from Katie Madden. She says, if you bring wine to someone's house, what's the etiquette? Can you make sure the host opens it? And we know people who want to bring their wine home if it doesn't get opened. Aye, aye, aye. That's got to be wrong, Katie asks. So that's a – well, you're definitely right on the second half of that. The, the really simple answer, right? It, once you bring it, it's not yours. No. If you're bringing wine to somebody's house as a gift, definition of gift, 
you are giving it away. And once you've given it wait, away. Wait, wait, wait. Gift? Okay, I got it. I you got, got it. that I'm, part? I'm going to write that down. Yeah. And as a result, bringing a gift, giving it away, it belongs to the host. What the host or hostess does with the wine is completely up to them. And you as the guest are supposed to shut up and say, thank you very much. It's lovely being in your home. Yeah. And, you know, we, we talk about this a little bit. There are there are things you can do if you th- if you think the wine's going to go with the meal because you happen to know what the meal is. You can say, you know, I think it's going to really go well with that grilled tuna that you went. Or, yeah, but that's something, but in my opinion, call ahead. Yeah. Don't do that once you walk in the door. Instead, call say and I'm say, bringing listen, something, yeah. what are we having for dinner? Would you like me to try to bring something that go, would go well with dinner? And then the host or hostess could, in fact, say, oh, no, Margaret has already picked out the wines for tonight's dinner. They're a fabulous collection of wines, and we don't need... That junk you always bring. (laughs) Or she can say, oh, that would be lovely. We're having beef bourguignon. A nice bottle of Domaine de la Romani Conti would be lovely. And then you can go out and buy a (laughs) $1,000 bottle of wine I think that would work just fine. You know, I have a funny story about this because last night a dear friend invited me out to dinner. Uh, He invited me and my wife, and he and his wife were there, and we arrived. And I had brought a gift of a bottle of wine. Now, he was visiting from out of town. So he's flying home the next day, and I said, you know, I didn't bring this to drink tonight. I brought it for you because I want you to take it home and enjoy it sometime. And he and his wife both said, you know, I'm on a new medication, and I don't drink, I can't drink wine anymore, and by the way, our bags are full, so why don't we just open it up at the restaurant? And I said, okay, fine. And so we instructed the waiter to open the restaurant, and then, of course, it turns out he's on the medication. So he can't drink. His wife isn't drinking out of sympathy for him. So there we are. I've brought the bottle of wine. My wife and I are sitting there. We're drinking the bottle of wine. When the meal is over, there's half a bottle of wine left. And he says, why don't you take it home? Now, was that a generous gift or not? Yeah. I brought the bottle of wine. <laughs> it worked out well. I drank it all. I took the rest home. Well played. What a guy. Well timed. <laughs> well timed. Although I would say uh, to his wife, you know, you've got him on medication. Now he's your designated driver. You know, Now you're good to go. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah, right. and I think that actually brings up another point, too, that there is – I think the thing you can do, Katie, is, is say um, – when the wine is not to be opened, when you when you want them to, to have this be a special bottle of wine, you can yep. say, you know you don't have to open this. This is kind of a gift. Feel free yep. to, but... Well, in fact, sometimes what I do is I bring two bottles, and I say, here... And then, But what, this, Mar- what does Margaret drink? This, no, I say, <laughs> this, this might be fun to drink tonight if you're interested, but this other wine, it's too young to drink, should be aged, hold on to this, open it later. Yes. Um, but no... <laughs> Pure and simple. Once that bottle leaves your hand and goes into the hand of the host or hostess, it is no longer your wine, and you don't have anything to say about what happens to it. That's right. And and uh, Katie, if, if somebody you know wants to take the wine home, I say just slap them. Well, slap their hand. You know, it's. I mean, would you go to Christmas? You give somebody a Christmas gift, and then you or, tell them that oh, by the way, you're happy to have them wear that sweater tonight because you really think they ought to put it on. It's getting a little cold <laughs> out. And by the way, uh, tomorrow you'll be wearing that sweater. <laughs> Because, right. No, no, no. Yes, it's their sweater. They get right. to do what they want with it. That is absolutely right. All right. We have another one from our Fresno friends. This is from Jackie Neiman. She says, and we get this kind of question a lot, and it's a really good question. What does dry really mean, especially when a recipe calls for dry white wine? Well, especially because they've just come out with dehydrated alcohol, right? Yeah. Well, so that's I'm the, expecting yeah, yes. pretty soon we're going to come yeah, up with dry, dry wine. Dry, yeah. dry wine. Yeah, just no water. add water. Yeah. yeah. Dry actually means no sugar. 
So on the one hand, that seems pretty simple. When yeast eats the sugar in the grape, it creates alcohol. And if it completes that process, it eats all the sugar in the wine. There's alcohol in the wine, but there's no sugar. That's a dry wine. But the confusing part is that an awful lot of wines that most American consumers think of as dry wines these days are actually made. They stop the yeast a little short so it can be a little sweeter because it tastes fruitier that way. These days, if you're buying a bottle of wine under $10 a bottle, chances are, particularly if it's from California, it's got a, a little tiny bit sugar of sugar in, in there. Yeah, it's uh, one Just or 2%, enough to make it right. rounder and richer and more fruity. But dry wine basically means not a, it's the opposite of sweet. Yeah, and so by our by our definitions, including that, the vast majority of, of white wines would be considered dry. Uh, but for cooking, yeah. generally, and it always depends on the recipe, but generally there's, a, there's sort of a class of wines that sort of go better. Think of them as, as the lighter whites. Right. Now, Sauvignon Blanc is actually really good, although it does have a bit of a flavor, but most of the flavors in wine actually get cooked off. And so Sauvignon Blanc is a very, it can often be a very dry wine, and it's a very good cooking wine. Another one that is actually pretty good for cooking is Pinot Grigio. Pinot Grigio. It's, it's light, yeah. it's easy, yeah. it doesn't have a lot of flavors. What doesn't sometimes get cooked off might be the flavor, the oak a, a little big, bit. From a big Chardonnay. From a big Chardonnay. So can yeah. we make this more complicated for people? Yes, let's try. Let's try. Let's talk Be- like a pro. Because <laughs> we're going to talk like a pro here. <laughs> because the one wine, the one area in wine where dry does not mean dry is bubbly. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, because we can do this. Ex- yes, absolutely. extra dry is, sparkling is already wine two, third, two, two levels into sweet. Is already slightly sweet. And it's be, it's a long story, and we should do a show on that sometime. But we, basically, extra dry, the thing to remember about extra dry is it's not dry, it's kind of sweet. Yeah, and in, if you really want dry, go brute, Right. Baby. And bubbly, it's brute. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. And, yeah, and, if you, and actually dry, now dry itself in bubbly is like three layers into it. And it's, yeah. It's, it's even worse. It's so. even sweeter. Yes. Yep. All right. Uh, we have a bunch more from our Fresno Enclave, but we will get to them in the second half of the show. Uh, so that is it for questions at the moment. We uh, we take questions from everyone, including non-friends. But you ask us a question, <laughs> Good you become thing. a friend. <laughs> yes, that's how you do. And you just go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And coming up, we have some bad wine writing from people who would like you to talk like a pro. <laughs> we will, we'll be right back. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Ah, that music makes me want to uh, dance and sing and read. Talk about bad wine writing. And read absolutely bad, (laughs) horrible wine writing. And this is time for our feature we call Really Horrible Wine Writing. Paul, you are up first on this one. What did yeah. you bring in today? Well, I have someone who, in their website about how to talk about wine like a pro, <laughs> yes. says, and they use the term fleshy, and they define fleshy as being, imagine the iron-laden sensation of having a piece of raw steak in your mouth. That is fleshy. Okay, mm. so, so first of all, that's mm. not fleshy. <laughs> yes. Second of all, 
that's disgusting. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and so I just thought this is a, yet another example of somebody who's talking is, through. Th- yeah, I, I'm crazy. Just, I'm sorry. I just crazy. it just it iron laden. Where does that come from? Uh, that's blood. Some, that's I. But really, I mean, come on. And yeah. none of this has to do with my fleshy in wine. Actually, just means full body. Right. Right. Which means rounder in the mouth. It has nothing to do with iron or raw steak or anything like that. So this is this is what happens when you talk like when a pro. you talk like a pro. Yeah. Well, we got actually uh, mine was sent to us by a guy who is a pro, but he's a good guy. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> Marcus Nigley. He's the winemaker at Board of Vineyards, and he emailed us. And by the way, if you folks find uh, an example of horrible wine writing, go send to rickandpaulwine.com. Just send it to us. We would love to see it. And, and I just want to go on record as saying Marcus is an exceptional. Fantastic, unbelievable winemaker. Why else would he listen to our show? Absolutely. Uh, and not only that, a man of good judgment. <laughs> and, yeah, that's, right. that's right. This was uh, in, it was actually in an email that got sent around, you know, by our wines. It's the sort of the groups that the, send. Right, the promotions. Deals. Yes. This was the winemaker notes attached, uh, and it is, it's really funny. Uh, it's. Uh, I have to tell you that I won't tell you the name of the wine because I don't want to make fun of the wine. But it's from Chianti. So it's our Chianti is made from grapes harvested and vinified in the restricted territory of the Siena province, which is the southern part of the county region. Then it gets going. This classic red wine has a bouquet recalling the beautiful Tuscan land and its culinary art, rich in tradition and history. Serve at room temperature. <laughs> <laughs> Should you serve the art or the history or the culture at room temperature? That's terrific. A bouquet recalling the beautiful Tuscan land and its culinary art. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think I want to smell that. No. I think I'd rather smell like, for example, grapes in yeah. my wine. Yeah. All right. That wow. is, uh, that's our uh, horrible wine writing. We will have more fun and pro wine talk in the second half of the, clo- the show. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We were saying earlier that you do not, repeat, do not need to talk like a wine pro to enjoy wine. So we're going to take a bit of a right turn on that subject and, and bring up our uh, our usual— Make sure uh, you turn on your signal there. Yeah, you don't want to turn yeah without... that's it. I do. I tend to forget. I forget to signal. Uh, we are expanding our wine word segment to have a few wine words so that when somebody talks like a wine pro at you, you'll know why you're ignoring them. Okay, good. Or something like okay, that. Okay, yeah. So let's bring up a couple of these. One of them is you were talking earlier about the word tannins, but Tannin. there's always there's always a modifier with it, which half the time never makes sense to me, let alone to somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. Right. So tannins, as we Wait were saying, is You that, don't know what you're talking about. So you are someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. So yes, that's a double so, reason to be doing this. <laughs> exactly right. Sorry. If, if I if easy. I if I knew what I was saying, I would be saying that. <laughs> uh, so tannins, as we said earlier, that's that's it's a feeling. Tannins are a feeling. They they give wine that sort of scratchy feeling in your mouth. Simplest and, simplest way to define tannins is that if you drink iced tea. Yeah, there you go. It's that dry sensation in your mouth, makes your tongue feel a little fuzzy, a little dry, a little tactile. If you, Those are tannins. Or if you do what I do and chew the tea bag, well, you'll, you'll that get will it even do more. It right yes. off the oh. bat, yes. They're so, in coffee. They're in tea. They're in red wines. They're in a lot of different. Yeah, you get it actually in coffee too. When you're when you're if you have black coffee, that sort of gets cold. 
It right, can, it can, really can, yeah. more noticeable. Yeah. Yep. So uh, there's a whole bunch of modifiers to that, and let's help folks w- what they mean. One of the ones that drives me a little nuts is when it's racy tannins. Racy tannins. Well, that means that the tannins are running around your, around your mouth really, really fast. I, I feels thought they like, got into cars. Feel, feels like driving. tiny little footsteps running across your tongue. See, I always see these little tans with eye, gla- eye goggles, <laughs> and they're in a, in a sports car. And they're little sports <laughs> yeah. cars driving around. I have no idea what racy tannins are. I, yeah, I think what people mean when they say that is that you can tell the tannins are there. I think. I guess. I guess. I yeah. guess. Yeah. If yeah. we don't know, just stick with tannin. You'll be good. You'll be good. Yeah. Now, how do you describe tannin? There can be big, rough tannins, right? And smoother tannins. I mean, and then there can be more delicate. And and the same thing. When you taste a delicate green tea, very delicate, little bit of tannin there. Leave your tea bag in a cold teacup for oh, wow, four right? or five hours and then drink that stuff and those are your those are your maybe they're jack, your jack booted thug tannins yeah. uh, the, the phrase also comes up mature tannins and that is again it generally means gentler tannins and right what in happens contrast is, to us yeah, in, a, in a really really simplistic version of it, is they think of the tannins, tannins as little spiky balls tiny miniature spiky balls and they all have little rough edges or sandpapery edges and as they get as they age, they bond together, so there's fewer edges, the so edges they just wear off. They're a and that smoother. is one of the things, yeah. one of the good things that happens as wine ages. Then yeah. you have things that aren't so good, but that's one of the things that make people age wine for a while is the tannins do get softer and more mature. That's true. I'm waiting for that to happen to us. Uh, I've, people have been asking, uh, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen, Paul. <laughs> Another phrase that comes up a lot, and it's it's a signal to people who know wine, but it's um, but you, you should know what this means. And they always say this is a, it's a right bank style. Yeah. I don't think people do need to know what that means, but we'll explain it to them anyway because it's pretty specialized. Yeah, it's true. It is. And I, I really want to make fun of the people who bring it up. Okay. Because you could just use other phrases that would be make more sense. Yeah, because in America we should use right field and left field rather than right bank and It's left a right bank. field wine. That what means it's got a good arm, good arm and it hits with power. Hits with power. Yeah. Maybe not the range of a left fielder. Right. It's slower, but it can. Yeah, it's got a good big bat. <laughs> Roberto Clemente. Yeah. Well, he had range. He could have played anywhere. <laughs> he could have played yes. anywhere. Including on the right bank. <laughs> That's right. Okay. All right. We're being silly. Yeah. Uh, surprise. What's right? new? Yeah. So let's go to Bordeaux. Bordeaux's at the edge of the water. There's a river that runs down through the Bordeaux region, empties out into the Atlantic, actually into the Bay of Biscay, if you want to be technically correct. And if you are facing down river, looking down that that river, the Gironde, on the left side of the river is where you might find the, Rick? Right bank. No, you'd find the left bank on no, the left it's, side. Oh, you're right. It depends on, what direction you're coming yeah, from. looking down the river, <laughs> yeah. if you look to of the course. right side, you'll find the... Right bank. Right bank. What's different? The right bank has more clay, which means it's, it's planted more with Merlot, and the left bank has more gravel, which means it's planted with more Cabernet. So all you need to know about left bank, right, right bank, left bank is a, a red wine blend with a heavier Cab. concentration of Cabernet and a right bank wine is a red wine blend with a higher concentration of Merlot and maybe some Cabernet Franc. And the cool kids often use right bank as a I'm cool statement because they're, you know, because they're not going for, because 
they're too cool to drink Cabernet, which is a silly, silly thing. Right. But and so that sort of often comes up too. And so fu- fundamentally, it. But really, that's why the as Paul said earlier, that's why using it as a stylistic guide is sort of silly. But it it means you're going to get a little more Merlot, a little less Cab. That's right. really kind of simply which, that. Which would be a much easier way of saying it, wouldn't it? It would, but that would be that wouldn't be talking wine like a pro. That would not be talking wine like a pro. Being clear. <laughs> yes, no, it would not. Yeah. Um, all right. What uh, else you got on that? List, right? Here's another one that comes up a lot, and it actually can mean something, is extracted. Yes. And generally what, you know, extracted gets used often in descriptions and often as a compliment, often as an insult, depending on who's, who, who is right. talking. Right, In really simple terms, it just sort of means a big wine. Yeah, and, and it all gets back to how the wine is made, because to, to really explain extracted, you got to remember that all grape juice is white. Okay, let's start with that basic philosophy. All grape juice is white. So the way you get a red wine is that the grape juice itself from red grapes is white. And in order to pick up the color, you need to let it sit on the skins of the red grapes because the skins are that dark red color. The longer you leave it on the skins, the more color, more flavor, and more tannin, my gosh, we're talking in circles here, um, is extracted. So a big wine is one where the juice is left on the skins a long time, makes a very inky, black, dense, extracted wine. Right. That's your phrase right there. It's a big, dark, dense. Right. right. A less extracted wine is one that's been on the skins less time. And an overly extracted wine is one that makes you want to pull your tongue out after you've tasted it because it's so intense that it's not fun to drink. And extracted is also something that needs to happen around here a lot where they try to extract one of us from one of our explanations. <laughs> <laughs> right. Another another one that comes up often, and frankly, this is another one of those words that even when people use correctly could be means they love it or hate it, and that's barnyard. Yes. And, you know, and think about barnyard. It, you know, it could, might be a little bit of smell of hay, might be a little bit of smell, taste of leather, might be a little bit of smell of uh, horse manure. Horse manure. Yeah. Um, and, it, um, and, and who wants to put that in their mouth exactly? Well, it depends. It Does depends it, Rick? If, it depends if it's a, <laughs> a, a Syrah from parts of France. Uh, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is a classic descriptor yeah. of some of the wines. Most people who study enology at one of the top enology schools like UC Davis would tell you, if your wine smells like the back end of a horse, it's defective and you shouldn't put it in your mouth. Yes. Well, that's true. Which and I'm going to connect that to the other word that comes up often connected to this is Brett or Brettanomyces. Easy for you it to is. say. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, that's talking like a pro. Uh, <laughs> which is a bacteria that gets in and... There are some folks that that hate any sense of it, and certainly right. at, at a large end, it can absolutely destroy a wine. Yeah. But a little bit will give it a little bit of that barnyardy yeah. taste, and if you yeah. like that, and some people do, and and actually, it does make the wine more complex. Uh, it can make the tannins a little tougher in the finish sometimes. Um, I used to be more of a fan of the whole barnyardy character of things. I thought it made the wines more interesting. But as I've gotten older, I've kind of decided I've had so many of them that were bad that I've just decided, you know, just just give me the wine without the added benefits. Britannomyces actually is a, is a version of yeast. Right. And, but sorry. it's a it yeast. yeast. Right, it's, right, a, right. It's, a, it's a spoilage in wine 
But it's really interesting. Even in small quantities, winemakers like it. Yeah. It's only when it comes out more powerfully. And the problem is once it gets in the wine, it's kind of hard to slow down. So you start with a little and you think, wow, this wine's delicious. And two years later, you come back and you open the bottle and you say, who let the horse in the barn? Yeah, or to extremes, it can also run towards Band-Aid and, and other flavors yes, like a, that. A lot of people find that the smell of a Band-Aid is a really classic descriptor of Britannomyces and consequently Barnyard. I'm yeah yeah you know um, I wouldn't use this term unless you're really sure of it because yeah, it's pretty technical. Well, I, we're we're not saying use it. We're saying understand it when somebody uses it at use yeah. more. And when someone yeah, if it says when a, someone says that you smell like a barnyard, it means that you smell like the rear end of a horse. That is what my wife was saving this morning. No <laughs> wonder what the problem was. Well, but so if somebody says there's a hint of barnyard, don't run away. If somebody says pretty barnyardy, maybe you want to move to the next wine. Yeah, and I think it's another example of one of those words that for wine. Wine is a little crazy because, of course, this makes all the sense if you grew up on a farm. Most Americans have never been in a barnyard. How do they know what a barnyard smells like? Uh, it's for everybody who leaves the door open because they live in a barn. Never mind. <laughs> never mind. Um, one more, and that is critter wine, which also comes up ah. usually as a pejorative term from a wine pro. Right. And you know, that goes back to, it really goes back to uh, the yellowtail and our, our friends, the uh, the kangaroo. But in so many wines, they were trying to appeal to the, the beginning wine-drinking public well, or the friendly wine-drinking public. I just got public. interviewed about this on, uh, yeah, for a big magazine back east. And, you know, the reason critter wines became popular wasn't because they had animals on them. It was because people liked the idea they were made, they seemed to be made by people who had a little bit of a sense of personality and humor. Right. Put a little donkey on the label, put a kangaroo on the label, put a koala bear, put whatever you want on the label. It's kind of cute. It doesn't sound like the wine was made by a stuffy French nobleman in a suit. Or by somebody who wants you to talk like a wine pro. That, Or by somebody who wants you to talk like wine. Right. And where we see this now, there aren't so many critter labels. There are still a lot of fun, innovative names in wine. And where you really see it, craft beer. That's yeah, true. Every yeah, craft yeah. beer has to have some clever name or it won't sell. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I said this in a story that I wrote about craft beer not so long ago, which is that one of the new occupations that craft beer has opened up is the ability to pun with the word hop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So that, so critter wine is often a pejorative term. And it's generally a wine that's going to be pretty approachable. That's yeah. really sort of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right, we uh, we could go on with words, but we would continue to mangle them and have them make no sense. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what we should do is is move on, and when we come right back, we will take some more questions from listeners. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we are going back to questions from listeners and our mail something or other. If you'd like to ask us a question that we can answer on the air, and we will give you credit, we promise, go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And don't forget, you can find us on iTunes, and you can subscribe for free. One simple little click. All right, this question comes from our man, Matt Bassini. Matt is our engineer and producer on the show. Yes, he is. And if we get this wrong. If the sound goes dead, you know that Matt did not like our answer. Did not like the answer. Well, he had a very good point because we have on occasion, and me more than most, if he says Rick, you say snap sometimes. Yes, you do. What? blank are you trying to say? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to ask you the same question because it's actually not a word I use to describe wine. So, Rick, this is all in your 
court. This it is, is well, you know, this we, is in your right field. It is in my right field. So let me wind up, wind up my cannon of an arm and <laughs> and dribble a ball out to second base. What I'm implying is, or trying to imply, or trying to say is that little bit. The difference between the end of say a sip of orange juice and the end of a sip of orange drink or Kool Aid, where it's the acidity, a little bit of the acidity in the wine that gives it. Like it's it seals the flavor. It's like a okay. bite of pickle. Yep, has a snap to it. So maybe maybe even better would be the difference between orange juice and lemonade, because orange juice and lemonade both have sugar, but the orange juice actually doesn't have as much acidity, and the lemonade, lemonade really does. has that sort of zing. Well, the not end. not the way I make it. I have way more sugar. But you're right. It's the zing. It's that little bit of zing. And you know, we reach. You, you we realize re- Matt is now going to write in another question and say, "You have used the term zing. Could you yeah. please explain what it's, zing it's, is?" Well, it's it's zip. It's <laughs> How it's, uh, but it is it's it's a, that little bit of a nice little acidic bite right. in a good way makes your mouth water. At yeah, the end. and think of it, it really is to think of like that bite of pickle at the at the, after a, a bite of burger. That's yep. sort of what we're asking, and what it does do, and the reason why that's a good thing in wine. And our next question actually deals with this, and we're going to answer it at a larger scale. But the reason why it's a good thing in wine is it it's the difference between say. Uh, uh, orange juice or lemonade and fruit cocktail juice. Right. Where, you know, you drink it with, it's just all sugary and there's right. no a- acidity to yeah. it at all. So. It's actually a really important thing because you realize that a huge part of the success of Coca-Cola, for example, which is a very, very sweet drink, is that it is also very snappy. Yes. Well, this brings up, I was going to bring that up. So let's let's get this next question and then we'll talk a little bit about Coca-Cola because you're absolutely right. Um, this is the question is from Ann Stapleton. She is in Napa, where you may be listening to us right now on KVON. KVON. Lots of people around here talk about acidity like I talk about salted caramel ice cream, <laughs> which I love. Like it's wow. something awesome. Doesn't acid just make wine sour? So that was to continue down this road. I will say that if you are drinking wine with salted caramel ice cream. It's going to taste sour. It's going to be sour. No, I think I think she means as in yum. <laughs> but yeah. Well, so I want to get back to exactly what you're saying, because when we talk about wines and acid, we, it's really the balance of things. That's the key word here. And, you know, one of the one of the questions I always ask folk, I said, what so what do you think has more acid in it, Coca-Cola or lemonade? And the yep. answer is Coca-Cola by yeah, a lot. By it's, a lot. It's why and, and anybody's yep. left some Coca-Cola on something that and has dried and eaten through the paint. It's yep. the acidity. You can clean your battery terminals with it. That's right. That's right. That's one of the things you clean yep. your battery terminals, yep. which and, I should probably do. And by do. the way, wine is in that same category. In terms of overall acidity, it's right there with lemon juice and Coca-Cola as being pretty darn acidic. Yeah, so, but don't clean your— uh, Don't clean your battery terminals no, with it's, it. So the reason why folks talk about acid as a good thing in general is because it gives wine that balance, like we were saying, so it doesn't end up like fruit cocktails. Would so you, you don't say get tired it gives of it. wine snap? I would say it gives it a little snap. I don't know that uh, our, so let me, our friend Matt would like that. So but let, me, let me use another example is because I love the fact that you bring up balance because balance is what this is all about. Let's talk about your classic vinaigrette dressing. Because, so, Paul, what about your classic vinaigrette okay, dressing? I'm, Rick, I'm glad you asked that question. The, the, the variations in that really vary from something that's pretty 
oil-based with a little vinegar just to clean it up a bit to something that's really more vinegar than oil and is really tart. Mm -hmm. Different people like different versions of that. Sure, absolutely. It's the same reason that different people like different levels of acidity in wine. There are people who don't like acidity, who like their wines to be very soft, easy to drink, not snappy. And there are wine. There are people who like their wines to serve the function of that lemon juice they always, or the lemon slice they always give you with your calamari, which is you put that oily calamari in your mouth. What you really want next is something that's going to be fresh and lively and acidic and freshen your mouth up and make you ready for the next bite of calamari. So depending on what you're eating, depending on what your basic palate enjoys, you're going to like wines with lower or higher acidity. I'm going to argue that in terms of white wine, if you want to talk to a sommelier like a pro, probably the best thing you could tell them right off the bat is I either like a lot of acidity or I don't like a yeah, lot of that's, acidity. Yeah, it's actually a good thing to know. And, and, and the thing is, don't get pushed around by those Talk Like a Wine Pro folks, which is because if they like wines that are higher in, in acid, then yes. you should too. Well, right. it's it's great. I mean, it's great if you like it, but you don't have to like it. That's right. And there's, and, and there's if, plenty of people who don't. And as I said, it absolutely depends on what you're eating. If you're out by the pool having a glass of wine, you know, in a summer afternoon before you go in to cook dinner, a high acid wine may not be what you want to drink. But Again, a slab of uh, fried fish, now the high-acid wine starts to make sense. So it also depends on the occasion and what you're having for dinner. Do not drink high-acid wine with sweet foods because they will taste like they're taking the enamel off your teeth. Right. But I agree with Ian is that too many wine writers uh, talk about it as if it is the absolute great thing that salted caramel ice cream is, which I completely agree with her, that it is a great <laughs> thing. We have one more question. This is from... Uh, a woman I know well. This is my niece, Spencer Brown. She lives in cool. Sacramento. She's a very smart young woman. She's an engineer. I'm kind of brag. She's an engineer for the Army Corps of Engineers, and she's getting married soon at a vineyard, by the way, here in Clarksburg. She's a nice niece. She is a good niece. But she added, asked an interesting question. Can they add aromatics to wine like they do to whiskey or vodka? Great question, because I think most Americans are under the impression that one way or the other, if you've got nuances of candied violets, cranberry, you know, chocolate, Chocolate powder, cocoa dust, and Charente. Yes, and Charente. That's another inside joke. We will explain that another time. <laughs> then somebody must be in the back room adding all that stuff up. And the answer is, in fact, all of those flavors are either in the grapes themselves or in the barrels, the oak of the barrel that you aged the wine in. There's, It's actually illegal to add flavoring substances to wine unless on the label you clearly say can't say Chardonnay. It has to say flavored wine, right. and then you can tell what I was going to bring that up because that's like those chocolate wines that you see out there that right. actually do surprisingly well, but that says, you know, flavor added. So, yep. and the way to think of it is, and even, even actually the spirits, they all say infused, flavor infused vodka, flavor infused whiskey. So they actually have to say that it has been infused. Right. Um, but it's much more common in the spirits world than anywhere. And, you know, think of it as, you know, flavor compounds. Are, are really just chemical compounds, things that you smell at different, they have different weights and different yep. compositions. And, and, and Spencer, you would certainly know this being an engineer, you know that about how that works. And the, the, the beauty of wine, it's one of the reasons why wine is such a great sport, is that the complexity of the process of fermentation, which is the yeast eating the sugar and turning it to alcohol and sitting in barrels and aging and changing and oxidating and all those things, you get these layers of different flavors. Now, whether you need to pick them out or not, 
up to you. Well, but and, it happens in wine. And the one thing we do have to say is that there are – I can think of no other fruit. And I'm, I'm thinking of apples right now. Apples, uh, ha- you can – you know there is a big range of flavor in apple. You can go from a Golden Delicious, which has no acidity, to a Pippin, which is really tart and has a lot of acidity. You can go to Red Delicious. You can, all these different apples have different flavors. Nowhere close to the flavor range of grapes. When you taste grapes from Syrah to Muscat to Cabernet to Chardonnay to Sauvignon Blanc to Viognier, those grapes have wildly different flavors, and that's what comes out in the wine. That's why you're tasting it. Yeah, and you know, so that is, it's true, and it's one of the things that a lot of uh, wine country visitors don't get a chance to do is actually to, if you taste go, the grapes themselves. Taste the grapes themselves, and you know, the time yep. to go is right at harvest when you can, because yep. otherwise they're all just going to taste yep. sort of sour. And, and can I say, Spencer, that's a being with the Army Corps of Engineers, that was a damn fine question. Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, never mind. There's a good long joke, but we don't have time for it. So we're just going to close up our mail apparatus and move on. If you'd like to ask us a question about wine or anything, go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Coming up, we have a food and wine pairing for you. listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. It is time for our food and wine pairing. And what we've got today is something mm-hmm. that I always like and have been meaning to cook, so we may actually have it for dinner tonight. Are you making it? I may. Okay. I'm, Am I invited? No. <laughs> <laughs> you are moving along. I've got better things. Actually, we've got a group of friends gathering, so I'll be cooking for cool. some friends. Cool. Grilled tuna. Grilled tuna. This is not taking tuna from the can and putting is, it on no, the grill. No, this is taking a slab of tuna, putting it on the grill, and not doing a whole lot of it because the sauce matters so much. But the tuna yes. itself has a kind of complexity to it. Some might argue fleshy with the—no, that was a— Fleshy yeah, with yeah. iron-laden yes. slab it, that of, is not no, tuna. That is not, not tuna. tuna. Um, and it's but, one of the good things and, about tuna. And tuna, tuna. can handle—one of the things about tuna is it can handle a lot of sauces and yes. a lot of— um, Slightly salty, spicy. Sweet. I mean, all those sweet things. things. Right. But but it, there are sort of, sort of some base wines that, for me, I think go well with tuna. Okay. Would you like me to start or would you like to start? Um, I'm going to start because I'm going to take us into a whole different world, and I'm not going to help anybody at all with these with these recommendations. But as usual? As usual. <laughs> but they're interesting. Okay. Because the place where I have had this dish most frequently is in what is what many people consider to be the home of tuna fishing, which is Sicily. Uh, you're, in the, you're in one of the ballparks that I was thinking about. Yes, absolutely. And on the one hand, with uh, capers, green olives, Olives and lemon, and one of those dry Italian white wines, maybe an Inzolia from Sicily, or maybe a Vernaccia from further north. Those are great combinations with that. But the other thing they do in Sicily that's quite amazing, they actually grill it. They put a little red wine on it. They serve it with caramelized onions, and they serve Nero d'Avola. Yeah. Another Italian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a big red wine. But tuna can handle it. Yes, I agree. And 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 you're right about the especially the capers. And I was thinking yep. that too. One of this is those sort of those clean white wines that don't go so well. Well, I was going in a slightly different direction, and I think rosé is always just a oh, yeah. great a, oh, yeah. cl- a crisp rosé with snap mat. Yep. Um, with it, snap. with a little bit of the acidity yep. in it um, is always a really good pairing with with tuna. Yep. The other direction I was going to go with some of the sauces that go on it is, and it is not exactly all that far from Nero Davila. Is is a good Syrah. Well, let me throw you one other option. And of course, we're all getting back to how it's cooked. Uh, Asian style with 
uh, soy sauce, a little sesame oil, and some green onions sliced over the top. And now we're talking Pinot Noir, and it's yes. delicious. Pinot Noir is always another good one. Actually, Pinot Noir is a, is a very good, uh, yeah. Um, all right. Well, that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Matt Bassini. Thanks, and, Matt. And thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to Rick and Paul Wine, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine, or find us on iTunes and click for free on us and, and subscribe. If you learned anything today, we hope it's this. Don't try to sound like a professional. Paul and I have gotten away without doing that for years. Yes, we have. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us. 